Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, George Wilder Jr. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Seems like I've got something caught in my throat just before I uh, um, come on the air. It seems like something was in my throat. You may have, you may have heard me cough. <laughs> I'm still clearing my throat. Anyway, um, something has been thrown across my desk. Stan Lee, uh, the Marvels guy, passed away. He's died. Uh, Four hours ago from the date of the show, from the date of the start of the show, uh, Stan Lee, the great Marvel guy, the guy who uh, uh, brought us Spider-Man, Iron Man, and all the rest of these folks, the the Incredible Hulk, Black Panther. Um, Yeah, um, he's passed away, 95 years old. So you can't feel too sorry for him, right? (laughs) You know, 95, I mean, hey, anytime you make it to your 90s and you pass away, you've had a long, long, great life. And plus, the guy was a millionaire or a billionaire, so 
he didn't suffer not in not financially but maybe you know um <clears throat> i heard he had pneumonia or something like that and he may have succumbed to that but stan lee the uh, i mean he's in every marvel movie that because i'm a marvel fan i love marvel comics my favorite um at my age my favorite marvel comic is iron man um n- and when I say Iron Man, I'm not talking about Robert Downey Jr. I'm talking Iron Man, not Robert Downey Jr. To me, he's just, I don't know. I think he's a waste. But, you know, Iron Man himself, I'm i am a fan of Iron Man himself, not the actor who plays Iron Man, you know, Robert Downey Jr. I think he's, I think he's boring, actually. <clears throat> but I love to see Iron Man go through it. And we all know that he's not inside that suit, okay? <clears throat> okay. And I don't like when they show his face as if he's inside the suit talking, when we know he's not inside the suit. Uh, he's just Tony Stark, but he's Robert Downey Jr., and Iron Man is a figure all to himself. I love Iron Man, even the uh, animated ones. <clears throat> but anyway, Stan Lee passed away at the age of 95. I think a few months ago, he was saying that somebody had stolen his money or uh, $1.5 million from his bank account or something. He was scammed. Of course, I mean, when you're 94, 95 years old and you have money, believe me, there's going to be people out there who are going to try and get it from you. And being 95, he was a prey for a lot of these younger people who were poor and trying to scam him out of his money. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know how that went or how it ended up or, or the results of it, but I do know that um, people are out there to get your money. They, I mean, especially the elder people. I mean, if you're 65, 70, uh, even 55 or 45, if you don't, if, if if they don't think you have all your marbles, if they don't think that you are uh, smart enough to realize that they're trying to con you, they're going to con you. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, uh, that's what I was reading and, and I heard, I didn't know, I don't, I, <laughs> of course, I don't know Stan uh, Lee personally. I mean, I think if I actually knew him personally, I think he would have been a nice guy. I think he would have treated me and the show with respect because that seems the kind of guy that he was. I want to say was because he's not here with us anymore. Um, Stan Lee, yeah, uh, the Marvel guy passed away. He's gone. But you know what? You can always read his uh, uh, comic books. You can go out and watch his movies. I mean, he's in every one of those uh, those Marvel movies. If you blink, you're missing. <laughs> but but when I'm watching a Marvel movie, I catch him. I, I always catch him. You know, I, I caught him in Spider-Man Homecoming. <clears throat> um, sometimes he have a bigger cameo part. Sometimes he have a, a very small one. And that's why I say if you if you're a Marvel fan and you like these movies and you read the comic books or you or you grew up reading Marvel comic books like I like I did, you know. <clears throat> You'll pay attention and try to figure out <laughs> where uh, Stan Lee comes in when the movie is going, when the movie is showing. But anyway, rest in peace, um, Stan Lee from the George Wilder Jr. Show, and my condolences 
go out to it to his family from the George Wilder Jr. show. Okay, now let's move on to the devastating the the devastating wildfires uh in California that are still burning. They are still burning. I mean I mean if you could see some of these photographs on on the computer on the internet on MSNBC and other places online you would be astonished this the damn uh state is burning the fuck down burnt out cars destroyed totally homes totally destroyed demolished uh and wow it is just unbelievable it is just unbelievable. There was something just went by. Congress returns to familiar threat. Trump's demand for wall money or shut down. Lord have mercy. Oh. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, fire. I want to say uh, uh, my condolences once again to those folks who have lost their lives, to the families, the victims of everybody of this horrific fire, and we have yet to hear anything positive from Donald Trump. Uh, the last time I heard something from Donald Trump, he threatened to uh, take or pull federal funding from the fire program, the firefighting program. Trump doesn't give a damn about California. He doesn't like California. He can't stand California. And uh, that's bad. As uh, uh, soon as this jackass is out of office, we can get a president that cares, that has a heart, that knows how to how to emphasize, empathize. Excuse me. This this cracker, he, he doesn't. He's an idiot. He's a fool. I mean, I can't keep on. I can keep on ad, adding adjectives to. to to his first name and it still won't do anything. This man is an idiot. He's supposed to be over there in France. He's an embarrassment. He he's a total embarrassment. <clears throat> he, first it was the rain. Now he doesn't want to walk with all the other leaders uh and commemorate a hundred years of uh World War One being over and um the vets I don't know why these veterans just don't turn their backs on this clown. I mean, he is a clown. Okay, uh, let's go back to the fires. Once I want to say one thing about the fires. They are devastating. The photographs are just all, all just they're awesome, but they're awesomely depressing. And, you know, burnt out cars and homes and entire towns. I'm I'm hearing that Paradise, the entire town of Paradise in California is just been demolished. And there's video of people escaping the fire. Cell phone video. A lot of people were taking cell phone videos of themselves escaping the fire and fire is all around them, you know? Every fucking where. It is just terrible. And it go it goes to show you that a lot of these homes are very expensive homes, uh, uh, movie stars, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, billionaires. These are very expensive homes. This is nothing like something that I live in. Okay, 
<laughs> These are very, very expensive homes, and they have been just total, total demolished through these fires. And the Republicans, Donald Trump and the Republicans, they're not saying a damn thing. What what they're trying to do now is still dig into the taxpayer pockets to, to try and build a wall for Donald Trump. They still on this fucking wall shit. Congress returns to a familiar threat. Trump's demand for wall money or shutdown. He's going to get wall money or the country will shut down. Are they going to they, – the Republicans are going to come out with all kinds of tricks before the Democrats are sworn in in January. We've got uh, the rest of November. We've got December. We've got, we've got December. We've got you know, pretty much um, two or three weeks in, in January 2019 before the Democrats are set and the Republicans are going to try and do everything they can to fuck over this country until the Democrats are set. So right now I'm hearing that the Congress – uh, Congress, the, the white Republicans, I hate to say white, but, but, but they're all, they are. These are white people destroying the country. And that's not a racist statement. It's just fact. Um, they're destroying the country. They're not going to get a wall, so therefore they're going to shut down the country. Let me read the article uh, to you if you haven't seen it already. Okay, you got Mitch McConnell and and... Paul Ryan and okay, Congress will return Tuesday facing a familiar threat. President Trump's demand for billions of dollars for his U.S. Mexican border wall, with the risk of a government shutdown if he doesn't get it. In other words, they want to gut Social Security. They want to gut every single entitlement program there is to give Trump his wall. And remember, folks. Not too long ago, Trump said that Mexico would pay for the wall. Trump said Mexico would pay for the wall. Now he wants us, the taxpayer, to pay for the wall, and we say, hell no. No fucking wall. The lame duck, the lame duck session gives the outgoing House Republicans Majority one final test of governing before Democrats take over in January and leave Trump with a weakened hand, pushing his priorities on Capitol Hill, even though the GOP still have a grip on the Senate. But Republicans determined to deliver for Trump face the intractable issue of immigration as well as the Democrats emboldened by the midterm election. As, as they, their expected House majority continues to grow, dozens of seats. Yeah, the, the blue wave is continuing, folks. The blue wave is going to continue all the way into 2020, maybe even further than that. Because we have to get these jackass Republicans out of office every fucking way. They should not hold an office in nowhere, nowhere in the in America itself. These these people are crooks. They're thugs. They're they are Donald Trump's lackeys or ass kissers, whatever you want. Re- Republicans should not hold office anywhere. They should never get them all out. It's going to take a lot of years to get every Republican out of every fucking election and vote them all out. Because they're thugs. 
They're crooks. They're criminals. They're traitors. They're Nazis. They're white supremacists. They're national supremacists. And they're not afraid to say it. They're not afraid to say it. So now, right now, after the midterm election, the the Republicans are threatening to shut down the government if Trump do not get money for his wall. When he told us a hundred million times that Mexico would pay for them, pay for his wall, his ridiculous wall. He will not get it. He will not get it. If the Republicans want to shut down uh, America to hold to hold America hostage to, so that Trump can build a stupid fucking wall, America shall be shut down. Do not give in to this bully Trump. He's an asshole. He's pissed off because he will not be uh, a dictator. He's, he's trying to be a dictator without the credentials of being a dictator. He doesn't give a fuck about California. He doesn't care if California burned down 30 times. He doesn't care. From now, uh, for now, I'm looking at something that's saying that the Republicans want Money for Donald Trump's wall. Or they're going to shut down government. They're going to shut down this country before the Democrats are have. Before the Democrats are sworn in in January. So they're going to do all they can. To fuck up the country before the Democrats take over. If the country is shut down. When the Democrats are sworn in, they can just open it back up. I'm hoping. But remember, we have a divided country, and we have a divided Congress. So I don't know what the fuck these people are going to do. I, I don't know. Um, they want to shut down the government. We have a divided country, and we have a divided um, Congress. So the Republicans on one end and the Democrats on the other, they're going to be fighting each other for the soul of America. This is why I've said during the midwaves that this during the midterms, after the midterms, that this was just a light blue wave, but it was a significant one. It wasn't that much of a blue wave, but it was a blue wave in general because we did take parts of our take parts of our country back, but we have to take all of it. The reason why I say we just took only parts of our country back because we the Republicans are still uh, uh, have the majority in the Senate, and they're all lockstep with this track tra- trashy ass Donald Trump. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. I'm a little tongue-tied, folks, as you can see, but uh, we're we're making it. We are making it. Thank you. Once again, I want to say, uh, give my condolences to all those folks, 20, 30-something people who have perished in those California wildfires. I want to say, hey, wow, you know, you have my blessings, you have my prayers. But I know a lot of people say, we don't need prayers. <laughs> we need money. Uh, and, and in some cases, you don't need money. What you need um, is a strong backbone to start over again. 
you know, a lot of these uh, people with some of these uh, million-dollar homes who are rich, uh, they won't be homeless long. You know, they're out there for a while. They may they may have lost a lot of memories by that house burning down. But you know, a lot of these uh, celebrities and rich people they have homes in other parts of America or other parts of the world that they can go to. But they're homeless now because they don't have a home in California. Like Gerard Butler and some of these other Miley Cyruses, they may have homes in Arizona or someplace. You know, they can go there. And but still in all, it, it's a loss, whether, it, you know, it's a one, it's one of four homes or if it's your only home. Uh, it's a loss. And it's terrible. People fleeing. I mean, this is this is like a movie, you know, <laughs> it's like when you're watching people fleeing uh, the fires and they're on the road and there's fires, there's fires on both sides of them as they're driving on the left and right sides as they're driving, trying to get out of the fire. And then, then there's debris blowing all on their cars, you know, sparks of fire, debris, tree branches and all that stuff blowing on their, hitting their dash, uh, uh, their front window. Uh, It's, and it's not a movie. It's real. I'm pretty sure some of these movie guys are going to take some of that footage and use it, (laughs) that real footage and use it in a movie, uh, at some time, but it is, uh, it was just awesome to see that um, this happening in America and nothing being said or done by the Republicans. They're still dreaming about cutting Social Security, even though they don't have the majority in, in the House of Representatives. They're still dreaming about cutting Social Security, entitlement programs, cutting pulling funding from the wildfire in California. They're mulling all of this while they're still in office. Uh, This is just, this is just awesome. This is just terrible, terribly awesome that the Republicans will be thinking about anything but trying to bring California back on its feet. It's going to take years from what I've seen. It's going to take years and years and years, maybe decades. uh, And, maybe half of the century to try to get California back to where it used to be. And California has to figure out a way. I do think California has to figure out a way to uh, prevent this. You know, I mean, they have to try to, maybe you can't prevent it. Maybe there's nothing you can do to uh, prevent it and and to watch and to guard these things. I don't know. But fires and fires and fires and fires have been happening in California for centuries probably. And I don't see how in the hell they don't have some sort of mechanism to try to quell these fires before they become monsters, big roaring monsters. Anyway, um, because California is burning as – as I'm sitting here on the George Wilder Jr. show, um, I really, really hate to lose listeners like that. You know, they could be listening to my show, yet they're trying to get out of the way of the fire, which is, I think, is the best thing to do, get out of the way of the fire. And I've always said this, you know, when a fire destroys your home, no matter where it is, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating, it's hurting, it breaks your heart, but you have to 
realize that you're young, you're energetic, you know, you've got a lot of money, <laughs> maybe you can start over again. You can start over. And especially if you have insurance on your home, fire protection, your insurance owe you owe you a home. Some of these rickety ass insurances will try to say, you know, blame you for the fire or something. But if you have fire insurance, and a lot of these people have because they live in California, and that's one of the greatest things you can have is fire insurance. Uh, but no matter how much fire insurance you have, you can never get some of those memories back. That paraphernalia, pictures, heirlooms, uh, memories uh, uh, back they're all gone with the fire, but you can rebuild again. You can start over again. Young, energetic, strong, you know, got a little money in the bank. Hey, it, you're insured. But I understand um, that this didn't need to happen. I, I'm not sure how the fire happened. You know, I'm not sure. I, I could have researched it and find out, but, you know. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Um We'll be right back. It is July 16th, 2018. Many are saying this is a day that will live in infamy. That's true. They say it will be remembered.
suburbs revolt against President Trump and flip the House to the Democrats. It was a vote to restore the health of our democracy. Plus, the late count in Arizona and a recount in Florida might erase Republican hopes for big gains in the Senate. I will not sit idly by while unethical liberals try to steal this election. We believe when every legal ballot is counted, we'll win. And Jeff Sessions is fired, replaced by a Trump ally, just as the special counsel and other investigations kick back into gear. I could end it right now. I could say that investigation is over. It's a break the glass moment. Our democracy is under attack. Inside Politics, the biggest stories sourced by the best reporters now. Welcome to Inside Politics. I'm John King. To our viewers in the United States and around the world, thank you for sharing your Sunday. President Trump is in France this hour for events marking the 100th anniversary of the Allied victory in World War I. His tense relations with key European allies are again obvious, though the president did try to quiet a fight he himself had picked with France's president. Yes, we have become very good friends over the last couple of years. Uh, we have much in common in many ways, perhaps more ways than people would understand, but we are. We're very much uh, similar in uh, our views. Back here in the States, the final midterm election verdict still not in. Democrats will retake the House because of an anti-Trump wave. But the Senate balance of power remains in dispute, in part because of a recount in Florida that also includes the governor's race. I am replacing uh, my words of concession with an uncompromised and unapologetic call that we count every single vote. We count every vote. Uh, and I say this recognizing uh, that uh, my fate in this may or may not change. And election over means investigations resumed. And the headline's not good for the White House. The president's decision to fire his attorney general brings a backlash. And listen, his own words tell you here he knows the man he named as acting attorney general is already on shaky ground. I can tell you Matt Whitaker's a great guy. I mean, I know Matt Whitaker. I don't know Matt Whitaker. Matt Whitaker worked for Jeff Sessions, and he was always extremely highly thought of, and he still is. But I didn't know Matt Whitaker. We begin the hour with the president on the world stage and embroiled in yet another controversy. Today in Paris, a ceremony marking the 100th anniversary of the Allied victory in the First World War. President Trump is at lunch with other world leaders this hour. We're waiting for word on whether he spends any meaningful time with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. Later, the president speaks at American Military Cemetery. He skipped a similar event yesterday, angering some of his own aides and advisors and stirring scorn and ridicule on social media. The White House says this is much ado about nothing, that the president could not go because the weather was too rainy and windy to fly his helicopter. The president instead spent the afternoon at his hotel, but the leaders of France and Germany did brave the elements for a joint event. Look here, Canada's prime minister as well, paying tribute in the tough elements to his nation's war heroes. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Joseph Dunford, and the White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly, a, reti a retired Marine general, took a motorcade to the cemetery the president was scheduled to visit so that they could conduct a leaf. A wreath lay. CNN's Caitlin Collins joins us now live from Paris. Uh, Caitlin, the president and President Macron yesterday trying to gloss over their very obvious differences, but President Macron today uh, not being shy, shall we say. 
No, he wasn't. He wanted the ceremony today to be about one thing, and that is the dangers of nationalism. It's a message he's taken on the road this week, and it's the message he had here at that ceremony today. And, John, there was one remarkable moment where President Macron seemed to be directly speaking to President Trump. Patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism by saying, our interest first, who cares about the others? We erase what a nation holds dearest, what gives it life, what makes it grace, and what is essential, its moral values. Now, President Trump has declared himself a proud nationalist and says he's just putting America first, and his supporters say it's about time that an American leader had that mindset about the country. But clearly, John, we are seeing a growing difference in ideology between the French president and the American president. And, Caitlin, on this trip and on past trips where the president has done this, the Europeans watch every move, and they think the president doesn't understand. As one diplomat said to me yesterday, NATO is about we. He is about me. Um, many of the world leaders walked together into the procession this morning, the event this morning. The president arrived separately. Uh, some perceive that as a snub. What does the White House say? Well, the White House is saying through their press secretary, Sarah Sanders, that that was simply for security protocols. That President Trump was in the beast, drove down the Champs-Élysées by himself, and then the other world leaders following in several buses. President Putin, the president of Russia, is another leader who also arrived separately. But, John, regardless of whether it's about security, it did allow for this stunning moment where you could see all of the leaders walking side by side down the Champs-Élysées without President Trump. He was not there. And it was a moment that was really hard to miss this morning here in Paris. Caitlin Collins live in Paris. Caitlin, keep in touch. The president again at that lunch now with other world leaders, including the Russian president. We'll keep track of those developments with me in studio this Sunday to share their reporting and their insights. Julie Pace of the Associated Press, Josh Dossie of the Washington Post, CNN's Manu Raju, and Politico's Rachel Bate. Uh, the president does seem to relish these moments. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, we'll watch what happens today. I want to go back to yesterday. Uh, the president was told you cannot helicopter to an American cemetery where he's supposed to do one of the most solemn jobs of an American president, pay respects to the war dead, where the 100th anniversary of the First World War. And the president says, I'm not going to go because I'm not going to motorcade. It'll be about a little more than an hour each way. Um, his chief of staff and his joint chiefs of staff general say, get us a motorcade. We're not going to let these troops go be forgotten. Um, why? I, I don't think we know the answer to that, but I think that if you look at the, if you look at the way that yesterday played out, uh, there are a couple of things that I think we should note. Yes, uh, the president probably couldn't have taken the helicopter because of weather reasons. That is something that has happened with previous presidents. That's not unique. But as many officials from other administrations from both parties noted yesterday, there is always a always. backup plan for a president. I've been on numerous presidential trips. There are bad weather calls all the time, and there's almost always a way for a president to get where they need to go. It might be inconvenient. It might ruin the schedule. It might take away from downtime that's built into a president's schedule. But there is a way to go. I can't imagine that there's anybody other than the president of the United States who made that call ultimately to not go forward with that trip. Mm -hmm. the, and the question becomes why, and if you looked on social media yesterday, he was being ridiculed uh, by political people and also just by other, you know, his critics, they're just individuals, voters and the like. Uh, this from Chuck Schumer, who will be later today. You can see him with Jake Tapper here on State of the Union. What at real Donald Trump is afraid of? One, Putin. Two, Mueller. Three, Rain. The president canceled his visit to an American cemetery in France to mark 100 years since World War I. Even if the helicopters couldn't fly, he could have driven. He must be afraid of a little rain.
this is part of the job. I mean, this one, people are going to say it's one event at a cemetery. Um, this is part of the job. And if you've done these trips and you travel to these cemeteries, uh, whether you're a reporter covering the president, whether you're an American tourist, maybe going to remember a family member, uh, they are incredibly solemn places. Why? Why? Well, why? He, all he has to, he's the president. Yeah, he might have to sit in traffic for a little while. Yeah. But, but, but what, get me a motorcade. I'm going. Well, this is a president who's disengaged from the world stage. I mean, he, he does not take many foreign trips, not as many as his predecessors. He's canceled some because he does not be involved in it. He feels personally slighted because of some feuds among some European leaders. Clearly, that's playing into his, his mind uh, set. And I ask Frank, he probably simply does not care about the backlash that he may receive by not going to an event like this. Look, the president's politics are very personal, and clearly he feels very personal about this, and he's not afraid if you look disengaged from it, something like that. I, I think we should take into account, too, his likely mood right now. I mean, right. he lost the House this week. Uh, there was a Wall Street uh, Journal story um, talking about how the feds had potentially found some sort of evidence that he knew about this hush payment to Stormy Daniels. I mean, it's been a rough week, and he has been really lashing out at people. He lashed out, right. out at reporters uh, right. this week during the press conference, out at his own party, sort of taunting lawmakers who lost their elections in these swing districts, specifically Republicans who had lost right. their district. He clearly is in a bad mood right now, and I wonder if that has to He, he, he is in a bad mood, and he sat in his hotel room, among other things, sending tweets We'll get to this one. They're stealing elections in Florida. There's no evidence of that. Uh, I'm going to cut off federal funds to California. Uh, you have horrible wildfires, 25 people dead in wildfires that are not all forest fire related, as the president says, but the facts don't matter. He is in a bad mood. There's no doubt about that. But he's the commander in chief. I mean, there are families, some, my, some of my family, distant cousins, circulating photos of relatives who served in World War I around on the internet. This is a big deal to a lot of people. I mean, but the president did not want to go, clearly. And, uh, you know, you saw the visuals yesterday of all of the leaders together, and today uh, you saw them kind of hand-in-hand hand walking. The president was separate. You saw them all at the different sites. The president was separate. I mean, it's the, it's the thing that we've seen over and over on these foreign trips. The president does not do what he does not want to do, and yesterday he clearly did not want to do it. He doesn't do the traditional, you know, grip and grins. He doesn't do the traditional, uh, you know, happy talk with these people. He goes over, and basically if he's in a bad mood, Everything changes. So, so my, my, my question here is how do his supporters process this? They often, whenever we say things, he's different. And he is different. And he has the right to be different. There are some things that come with the job. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sorry, this is one of them. Uh, this is one of them. I remember being in Paris with uh, George W. Bush when Ronald Reagan died. I mean, he went on to the ceremonies at Normandy. The, the former president of the United States had just died. Uh, and the current president of the United States knew that even as he dealt with that, he had to go on to Normandy uh, for, for, the, for the 70s. This is Max Boot. Now, he's a conservative writer. He's a Trump critic. So if you're a Trump supporter, you think, well, this guy doesn't like us anyway. It was the sort of solemn occasion that U.S. presidents have considered an integral part of their duty, at least since the Gettysburg Address. But Trump couldn't be bothered. It's not as if he didn't sacrifice anything, however. Odds are his hotel room didn't have Fox News. Uh, so a little snark at the end of that. But, it, but, but Max has a, right, a good point about Democrat, Republican, whatever. This is part of being president. And Trump, uh, when it comes to the military, actually, specifically, for all of his talk about how much he supports the military, how much better he believes he is for the military than President Obama, he has skipped a lot of these things that a president typically does to actually show people how much he appreciates the military, including not going to visit U.S. troops in combat nearly two years into his presidency. Right. That's actually quite extraordinary. It is quite extraordinary. And with the holidays coming up, we'll see if he keeps that streak. I can't share the details because they were shared with me in privacy, but I can tell you this did not go over well at the Pentagon. Uh, this did not go over well at the Pentagon. And as I noted with Caitlin, I got an email from a French diplomat yesterday saying NATO is about we, Trump is about me. 
Uh, so, again, we've seen this before, but we'll watch it play out. Up next for us, though, domestic politics. The ghost of elections passed as Florida begins. There it is right there. Another recount. Politics now and the big news out of Florida. Recounts underway in three races. Senate, governor, and agriculture commissioner. The president is personally invested in the races for Senate and governor. And Saturday, from Paris in his hotel room, sent this tweet. Quote, trying to steal two big elections in Florida. We are watching closely. There is, for the record, zero evidence of the fraud the president suggests. More on that in a moment. The map first. This is the Senate map as it pulls in. But I want to switch maps. One of the reasons the president is so upset about this is because think back to the day after the election, his Wednesday news conference. He called this almost a complete victory, the election. It was anything but. It was not. But when the president was in that news conference, he thought the map of the Senate was going to end up something like this, that the Republicans might actually get close to 55. During his news conference, he was told, no, the Republicans not going to win Montana. That one's been called for the Democratic incumbent, John Tester. That changes the map. In the days since that press conference, the Republican was ahead when the president spoke on Wednesday. The Democrat has pulled ahead in the late count in Arizona. As that one moves forward, that changes the map. Now he has the prospect of a recount in Florida. Rick Scott, the Republican, is still leading, but you have to put this race for now in the toss-up category as we count it out. Which means, assuming the Democrats, I mean the Republicans, hold Mississippi, which is headed to a runoff, it's possible, it's possible, not only do the Democrats take back the House, pick up governorships, pick up a ton of state legislative seats, but that the Republicans in a year the map was tilted for them might just pick up one if the Democrats somehow come out of Florida recount with a winner. So the president is mad about this. The recount plays out this week. You'll see votes being counted even today. They're supposed to be done by Thursday. The two candidates for Senate at war with each other. And come up with but it's, it sure appears they're going to keep finding as many votes as it takes to try to win this election. The governor has decided to abandon the most fundamental of all rights because he fears that he will lose the election if all the votes are counted. He isn't telling the truth, which is votes are not being found. They're being counted. Florida recount. <laughs> Words we love to speak. Here's what I don't get. Uh, the president, this is his calling card. Fraud, rigged system, there's no evidence of that, and it's reckless and irresponsible for any president of the United States or any political leader to say that. Uh, Rick Scott has also jumped into that. Uh, liberals, illegal, scam. Uh, if you look at the margin, Democrats and Republicans in Florida will tell you it is incredibly unlikely that Rick Scott loses a recount. What are they nervous about? It's pretty confusing. What's wrong with counting votes? Yeah, it's pretty confusing to understand the strategy from Republicans. For Trump, you get it. I mean, this is kind of Trump's MO going back to the 2016 campaign when he was trailing uh, his strategy if he's going to lose or his party's going to lose is to essentially say the system is rigged. It's dangerous, but we know where he's coming from on this. For other Republicans, the reason it's confusing is that this is all very transparent. It is written into state law in Florida and every other state across the country what their recount margin is. If the margin gets below a half a percentage point in Florida, it goes to an automatic recount. That's just, again, the state law. Now, the margins are so large at this point that it's hard to imagine the Democrats overtaking the Republicans. But if you're the Republican and you're ultimately going to win, why wouldn't you want all the votes to be counted so you can say, even with a recount, I am the legitimate winner of this race? And it really, just, just under the last several days, have undercut the president's narrative that you were discussing right out of the election, that this was a big victory somehow, even though they lost the House, and suggesting that they were going to really pad the majority. There's a 
there's a significant difference in the Senate between a 55-45 Senate and a 52-48 Senate. A huge difference because it you, it'd be harder in some ways to get controversial nominees in particular uh, confirmed. Think about the 2020 map when Republicans are going to have a difficult time keeping the Senate. If it's 52-48 uh, Senate, you have three Republicans who could bolt and defect on the Supreme Court nominee, not just Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, but also Cory Gardner, who's up for re-election in a state like Colorado, uh, the state that Democrats have done particularly well in. So it's very significant difference between the two, and the president obviously is very concerned. Right, and I, I, get, I get it. And if you're competitive in politics, you're, we thought we had this one. But, but you see, in the case of the president, in the case of Rick Scott, even Marco Rubio, the junior senator from Florida, he would be if Nelson loses the senior senator from Florida, but the junior senator at the moment from Florida, alleging fraud. Now, Broward County has a history of not being terribly competent. Uh, but even Rick Scott said he's sending in his own state police agency to look at it. They said they have no credible allegation of any fraud. But, so let's trust the cops who do this for a living. But you've seen it. Your political rights about pressure on Arizona Republicans start screaming fraud in Arizona, too. Yeah. Uh, I've spoken to senior mm -hmm. Republicans out there, and they say, no, we're counting votes. This is how it works. We wish it went more quickly, but calm down. Why, why is there this national Republican pressure to scream fraud? It, it's just another example of how Republicans across the country are sort of taking... Uh, the lead from the president when it comes to sort of combating things that are either negative press or things that are bad for them. I mean, in this specific election, there were two lawmakers who had already been indicted, for instance, who are now saying the Justice Department has a witch hunt against me, even though, you know, there's multiple counts uh, of abusive funds. And again, they're adopting President Trump's tactics to hit back. I mean, Broward County does have a lot of controversy. I mean, it's not just... Uh, uh, Bush v. Gore in 2000, but also, you know, they, um, they were accused at one point of sending out ballots that didn't include ballot initiatives randomly. Um, so there is a history there, and I think that Republicans are able to sort of latch onto that, even though there is no evidence, um, and that's just what they're, they're taking the lead from the president on that. Taking the lead from the president. Let's listen to the president, because again, he's the president of the United States. Uh, he ran in the primaries about a rigged system. He talked in the general election about a rigged system. Uh, so he's standing outside of the White House. Uh, people look to the president. You have you know, very close elections. Can we trust them? Here's the president's take. You notice the votes never go the other way? They hire lawyers, and the votes don't ever seem to go the Republican way. Although I hear, well, I don't know, you tell me. It's always the Democrats. It's always GPS fusion. It's always crooked stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in this country, and we're finding out, and I'm getting to the bottom of it, and I've done a hell of a job. Al Gore would beg to differ, but um, I digress. <laughs> what happens every time you ask the president about voter fraud? We did it last week, uh, Monday, on Air Force One, and he says, take a look at it. It's definitely there. Where does he say there? You tell me. There's been no tangible evidence. The president doesn't say, yes, in Florida, this happened, this happened, this happened. This is why we want to send federal authorities in in Arizona. It's, it's kind of this hidden hand, kind of slate of hand conspiracy theory that he often promulgates, uh, just like you saw uh, there. And I think what's uh, concerning about it is he's doing it for political gains, of course. He's doing it as the titular head of the Republican Party. He's doing it to support his own candidates. But he's still the president of the United States. If people don't trust that the ballots are safe, if they don't trust the FBI, if they don't trust DOJ, if they don't trust the news media, if they don't trust any of these institutions that he's constantly, uh, you know, taking on, targeting, uh, those, are different, those are different ramifications that maybe he understands at the time. And or, that's or, not to say that the voting, there, there could be voting problems. There could be, there are obviously issues with lots of different institutions. But when he does things like that without offering any evidence, 
it makes everything in this partisan kind of muddy game, and, and that's why he clearly likes it. Well, you can say, it doesn't look great, we're on top of it, everybody be assured, we're going to make sure there's a fair count, as opposed to it's rigged to the system and there's something nefarious happening. But we shall see as that one, and uh, throughout the week, stay with us, deadline Thursday for that recount, so come see us every day at noon, we'll get through it. Up next, the big midterm message, the president is toxic in the suburbs, and his Republican Party is shrinking. History tells us as we try to understand this Tuesday's vote, not to read too much into a midterm presidential rebuke. Bill Clinton thumped in 1994. Barack Obama shellacked in 2010. Both recovered, went on to comfortably win re-election just two years later. Still, this map does include many warning signs for the president and his party as we move now from 2018 into the 2020 cycle. One quick point first. Look at the Democrats right now. The Democrats will retake the House. There's still some races to call, but they're going to have at least 230. Here's what we've called so far, 225. They're ahead in 230. Republicans are ahead in 205. The big sweep in this election was this. Let's show you this. This is the House map in the United States of America. These are the top suburban districts across the country. Now we're going to collate this and add 2016 to 2018 flips, meaning Republican seats flipped to the Democrats. The Republicans picked up zero Democratic seats in the suburbs. Democrats are leading right now in 23 suburban districts, long held by Republicans, that are going to flip, and we've already called 19 of those. So at least 19 Democratic pickups in these suburban seats from coast to coast, a big change in the base of the Republican Party, and that number could go higher. Again, the Democrats on track to get 30 to 35, 20 or more just from the suburbs, once reliably Republican. Giant warning sign for the president's party because the suburbs are growing. That's where people live. The rural areas where the president is strong, and he's very strong, they tend to be static, some of them losing population. Some other warning signs in the 2018 election. Look at the numbers among white women with college degrees. Here's the 2016 presidential campaign. President Trump gets 44. The Democrats, Hillary Clinton, 51. Democrats did better with this constituency. Six in 10 white women with college degrees voting for the Democrats. The Republican Party heading in the wrong direction. Remember, President Trump lost the popular vote, won the Electoral College, lost the popular vote. His challenge is to grow the party. This is shrinking. That's white women. Voters under 30. Democrats again improving. Hillary Clinton won this constituency. Democrats in these House races won it even larger. The Republican Party is shrinking. Non-white voters. Essentially static, you could argue, if you're a Republican, I guess, if you want to see some silver lining here. Uh, Hillary Clinton, 74% with non-white voters. Democrats, 76% in the congressional elections. But that's pretty bad. You're Latinos, Asians, African Americans, the Republican Party, maybe it didn't lose ground. It didn't gain an inch since 2016 into 2018. Uh, one last, as we look at this, independents always swing midterm elections. The president narrowly carried independents in 2016, Democrats won them by a big margin in 2018. So yes, the president is very strong in these rural red areas, but where people live, where the population is growing, where the population is getting more diverse, his party's shrinking. So when the president looks at this map, losing the House, maybe a modest gain in the Senate, wiped out at the state legislative level, uh, he sees a complete victory. The Democratic leader of the Senate says, nonsense. Brag that because he won North Dakota, that makes him a national, strong political presence especially given in light of what everything else that happened this tonight, uh, last night, makes no sense. If you can only campaign in the reddest states that you won by 30 or 40 points in the last election and no one wants you in large parts of America, that doesn't bode well for your political future. Now, the president looks at that map and thinks he can win again in 2020. 
uh, depends who the Democrats nominate. Uh, but it is just indisputable that you lose the popular vote, your challenge is to try to grow. The Republican Party is not growing right now. It is shrinking. They, the demographics of the Republican Party put them in a position where eventually they're just going to run out of voters because the way that the country is growing is all toward Democrats' favor. I do think there's a difference uh, in having the president on the ballot versus having his party on the ballot. We saw that with Barack mm-hmm. Obama in 2010. Absolutely. His party had a shellacking, and he won pretty easily in 2012. So there is a difference there. But there are clear challenges for Trump as he heads into his own reelection campaign. These states that he relied on when he won uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, they were not permanently shifted by his election. Uh, He does have a large base of support there, but now they have Democrats who are running those states, and and that provides the Democratic Party really significant infrastructure. And and so your your question is, do you learn the lessons of it? You know, and Bill Clinton and Obama did adjust uh, after their elections. Uh, The president's recipe for this one, when reminded, you know, you lost a lot of ground in the suburbs, was to say, not my fault, their fault. You had some that decided to, let's stay away, let's stay away. They did very poorly. I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad, but I feel just fine about it. Carlos Cubella, Mike Kaufman, too bad, Mike. Mia Love, Mia Love gave me no love, and she lost. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. Uh, That's the leader of the Republican Party. Right. Well, you know, his inclination, though, has not been to broaden and expand his base. It has been to double down at all times on the, the most dyed-in-the-wool Trump voters. He saw down the stretch, Paul Ryan said, let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about more inclusive messages. The president said, no, we're going to try to end birthright citizenship. Obviously, can't do that. We're going to send 15,000 troops to the border. We're going to make all of us about immigration. Paul Ryan says, look at the, you know, Crowds outside of your rallies. The president says, my rallies are huge. Look at how big the rallies are. I mean, this is a president who uh, his gut instinct is to stick with exactly what happened in 2016. And his takeaway from this election was what he said at the podium on, on Wednesday at the White House. But that's why Republicans need to be more about Trump. But then you saw the next day, uh, a lot of the Republicans came out and said, I wish you would have criticized us before. That could have actually helped us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he, 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 of course, the president ignores the analysis of the candidates who did attach themselves right. to the president, right. the president and did lose. Right. Dean Heller in Nevada, for one, right. in a very important swing state, uh, was uh, rejected his anti-Trumpism during the 2016 mm-hmm. campaign, embraced the president. He lost that Senate race. There are Republican candidates in the House also who aligned themselves, including Katie Arrington from South Carolina, mm-hmm. a race that a seat that Mark Sanford had held before she beat him in the primary because Sanford was too anti-Trump. She was very pro-Trump. She loses that race. So the president's problems are beyond just some candidates distancing themselves from him, and he knows that too, which is why that when he campaigned in the final stretch. He went to those very, very red states to campaign for those Senate candidates, not for the suburban districts where the Republicans really... And so now what is the question? And we're going to have weeks and months to figure this out. But if you watch that news conference Wednesday, there was a lot of fire and fury, a lot of rage from Trump. There were snippets of, I'll even adjust my big tax cut if I can negotiate with the Democrats on a middle class tax cut. Let's sit down and talk about infrastructure. Maybe we can cut a deal on DACA. So there was a little bit of, oh, the art of the deal guy's back. A lot of rage around it. Uh, and then this question, can you get along with Nancy Pelosi if, as Nancy Pelosi says, yes, we're going to investigate this president. We have a, a constitutional responsibility to have oversight. That's a, the balance of power. You can be sure of one thing. When we go down any of these paths, we'll know what we're doing. 
and we'll do it right. Can you compartmentalize that and still continue to work with them for the benefit of the rest of the country? No. Or are you are all bets off? No. If they do that, then it's just all it is is uh, a warlike posture. <laughs> you have a fun time on the Capitol Hill beat. Yeah. Uh, welcome to gridlock in Washington for the next two years. I. Are we sure? You know, Mark Short and I were talking about this in, um, in uh, the green room just the other day. Uh, he's the former uh, top advisor of the White House, and he was saying he really thinks there's a chance that Pelosi and Trump could negotiate together on an infrastructure package. Democrats want to be able to show voters that they are for something and not just investigating Trump. And so they do have something on the line in terms of trying to pass legislation and get something done. But... I mean, he just fired Jeff Sessions. They are, this is going to be their number one priority when they come in. The chairman already have lists upon lists of documents they want, subpoenas that they're going to issue. And Trump is going to want to fight back. He's not going to want to make a deal with the Democrats. Or maybe one day he will and one day he won't. I mean, you remember those yeah. Chuck, yeah. Yeah. Chuck and Nancy dinners last year where they would come over and an hour and a half later yeah. they would emerge and we don't have a debt ceiling anymore. We've made a big immigration deal. Obviously, that fell apart. But I mean, there were a few weeks there where it seemed like every week he had Democrats at the White House and something big was yeah. happening. I mean, this guy who he can adapt to whatever he needs to do in that moment and he's kind of shameless about it. And I think... You may see some action that's pretty interesting. And because, a, qu a question there will be the reaction in the sense that he, right. was, he was about to strike a DACA deal and his own base revolted. Now you have a smaller House Republican, more Trumpy on the surface, but if he starts dealing with the Democrats, we'll see how they react. So uh, interesting times ahead. Up next, the president fires the attorney general just as the investigations kick back into gear. The president now back forcefully defending his pick to be the acting attorney general. That, after being caught in a lie, claiming Friday... He didn't really know Matthew Whitaker, despite an interview on tape, yes, last month, where he said he did know him and that he was a great guy. Whitaker was named when the president fired Attorney General Jeff Sessions. White House aides made no secret, make no secret. The main reason the president likes Whitaker is because of his open disdain for the special counsel, Robert Mueller. Whitaker now oversees Mueller, and there are concerns he could try to limit the special counsel's scope or try to bury any final Mueller report. It's clear that this president is trying to make sure the Mueller investigation doesn't get all its final product out. The president could have avoided even any of these questions if he'd simply uh, appointed the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, to be, this, be in this temporary position. Instead, he picked this individual, Mr. Whitaker, who the best asset I can see is he's a big-time Trump loyalist. Um, some of this might not be fair to Matthew Whitaker, but the president kind of set him up, right, for this? Well, the president uh, does this quite frequently, where he sort of takes somebody and elevates them, and then suddenly the uh, digging from our fine news organizations happens and sort of reveals either weaknesses in the person that's happened with Ronnie Jackson, uh, for sure. And then the president starts to distance himself. The, the classic phrase is, I don't really know them. He did that with Paul Manafort, who ran the, the campaign. Uh, but Whitaker's um, positioning here is very clear. He's someone who was put in the Justice Department uh, because he opposed the special counsel to sort of watch what was happening in that, in that office, um, and now... He's expected to do the exact same thing in this acting position. And, 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 the, and one of the reasons the president liked him is he had him in the Oval repeatedly because Jeff Sessions and the president had such a terrible relationship that the president did not even want to see Jeff Sessions. So he found this Matt Whitaker, who was uh, recommended by Leonard Leo, the Federalist Society president, influential in Washington, and he, uh, he moved him up because... 
Two things. He liked him. He's kind of a backslappy guy who Trump likes, big football player from Iowa. And two, he's deeply skeptical of a special counsel's probe. So when the president had a choice to finally install someone besides Sessions of the AG, he wasn't going to pick Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, who has been, uh, you know, alleged to have worn a, to suggest that wearing a wire against the president. He wanted to pick someone who he liked and trusted. And, and, and of this, is, of course, sets up the first real big fight with the new incoming Democratic majority who plans to you know, come January, if he's still acting, he will be asked to come up. There'll be subpoenas for him to come up to testify. There'll be questions about his role in the Mueller investigation, which he may not may not be able to avoid. Republicans in the Senate, however, believe that this is just a short-term appointment that the president will nominate someone in a more permanent place. But he could still be in charge of the probe for some time. Right. So the rest of November, the, the rest of November, December, January. Let's just say at a minimum. Two and a half, almost three months there. If, the, if they move lightning speed right. on a new nominee, that's probably being too optimistic. Those could be critical so months. At, at least that. So Mueller has to go to him for approval. Uh, Mueller, would hand, if he has a report, hand it to him. Matt Whitaker decides what happens to that. Now Democrats, once they have power, can subpoena it and can do everything else. There's also other investigations. The Southern District of New York reports to the Attorney General. Uh, this from the Wall Street Journal just on Friday. The Wall Street Journal found Mr. Trump was involved in or briefed on nearly every step of the agreements. He directed deals and phone calls and meetings with his self-described fixer, Michael Cohen, and others. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan has gathered evidence of Mr. Trump's participation in the transactions. These are the payments to Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels that, if this reporting is correct, are direct violations of campaign finance. Mr. Speaker, once again. According to a new report in the Washington Post this week, Donald Trump is not happy with only. Joining me now is John McLaughlin, former acting director of the CIA, Benjamin. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.